that is a complex thing to pull off, a piece like that. So thank you, Dan and Doug and John and Joy and Hannah, uh, for that musical selection on this Ascension Sunday. I want to say happy Ascension Sunday to you. Happy Memorial Day weekend to you as well. It's good for us when we're in this sort of time warp where every day might feel kind of exactly the same to to celebrate these uh, national and church holidays as important days uh, for us to be mindful of what they represent. And we are going to focus on Ascension Sunday a little bit today. It's been a real treat to have a front row seat to this sermon series from Easter on called The Resurrection and the Life. The series that has asked this question, how then shall we live? If it's true that the the resurrection of Jesus changes everything, that it transforms the very fabric of existence, that it turns death into life, then how are we to live as a Christian resurrection people? Pastor Simon has made the case over many weeks that being a resurrection people is a matter of mind, body, soul, and spirit, integrated in a desire to follow Christ. At the same time, our children's ministry and Thursday night prayer services have been walking through the resurrection appearances of Jesus from the Bible, that, that period of 40 days between the resurrection and the ascension where Jesus appeared to more than 500 people in resurrected form. There's a principle that ties both the sermon series and those appearances together in my mind, and it's this. The resurrected Jesus shows up so that we can know how to live as resurrected people. We are to be as he is. Let me say it again a little slower because you can spend your entire life pondering this and living into it. We are to be as he is. To model our lives after the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus models for us this this fully integrated life that is changed and transformed. And he calls us to do the same. Not just to believe in him or believe things about him, but to seek to actually be like him. To have our lives, all of us, mind, body, soul, centered on him and being formed by him above all else. And this is where our text comes in today, our Ascension Sunday text. Let me read it for you. If you have your Bibles with you, we're in Acts chapter 1. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, is this the time when you're going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And he replied, It's not for you to know the times or the periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. When he had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going, they were gazing up towards heaven. And suddenly two men in white robes stood by them. And they said, men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking towards heaven? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way that you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And when they had entered the city, they went to the room upstairs where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. 
All these were constantly devoting themselves to prayer together with certain women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, as well as Jesus' brothers. May God add a measure of blessing to the reading of his word. This ascension narrative can so often be overlooked in the midst of our normal sort of spring celebrations. We kind of sit in Easter and and bask in the glory of that, and then we rush to Pentecost, which we're going to celebrate next week, and then on to our summer activities. But Jesus' ascension is really important. It's an important event, and it has a profound meaning for us, maybe especially in this unique season that we find ourselves in and find our world in right now. Pastor Joy spoke powerfully and beautifully about this on Thursday, about how the ascension reminds us that we are in a liminal space, a a threshold, a a corridor, a doorway into what is next. We are in the in-between. A couple of things, just quickly, that this ascension story highlights for us in our own liminal state today. The first is that Jesus is Lord above all power and structures and authorities and rulers. He ascends to the right hand of the Father and shows his power and imminence. This year, maybe things seem more out of control than normal, and it's good to be reminded that Jesus is in control. He is ascended. As N.T. Wright, New Testament scholar, puts it, Jesus is in the control room of the universe, moving history towards his ends. That's a good word. That's good to be reminded of this day. But the ascension also reminds us that, too, We are commissioned and invited. Jesus did not stay in bodily form to take care of everything for his people. He left. He ascended to heaven so that his spirit could descend and empower his people. He commissions his disciples to go out to the whole world to continue his work, the work of resurrection, bringing life to dead places. As faith descendants of those original disciples, that commissioning falls on us as well, even this day. So the text tells us that Jesus commissioned a group of people and then they immediately gathered in Jerusalem to pray and worship and fellowship and prepare. We know that 10 days later they received the Holy Spirit at Pentecost and something amazing was born on that day. What was born was the church. So that's our focus today. A long introduction to get what we're talking about today. As we close this series on the resurrection and life, we're going to talk about the church. So let's talk about the role of the church as we consider living as a resurrection people, as we step out of that empty tomb and into the world that God has given to us. So the church. Wow, what a strange time to be talking about the church and its importance to our lives because the whole concept of church for me, and I'm guessing for most of you, has been turned completely upside down, right? We are separated from one another, and that's really hard. The normal rhythms of Sunday morning and youth group and children's ministry and midweek Bible studies and and coffee hour, those are gone for now. And they're replaced with screens and phones and, and written notes to one another. We can't visit people who are sick in the hospital. We can't sit with shut ins. We can't go on retreats and fling our doors open wide to our community. It's disorienting and it can be a discouraging time in church life. And we don't know when we're going to be able to return to corporate worship. Or if it will feel like it used to when we do. There's been a lot of chatter about reopening churches recently, especially in the last couple of days. And I just wanted to address some of that, which is going to lead us into a discussion of the church and how we should be viewing it in this time. 
I was grateful to hear the president refer to the church and religious gatherings as essential to the fabric of our society. I think it is essential. The cultivation of faith in Christ is the most essential thing we can do. Okay, I know I'm a little bit biased. This is my life, okay? I, I, I think that it is essential. I was thankful for that affirmation because I've been frustrated with the unclear or arbitrary ways in which some services have been deemed essential and others haven't in this season. And I'm certain that some of you are wondering why we aren't meeting together in person this morning, if that's the case. And then there are others of you who can hardly imagine meeting together until a vaccine or a treatment is found for this disease. For some of you, this is a matter of personal liberty. And I want to say that it is. For some of you, this is a matter of life and death and care of neighbor. And I want to say it is. My word to all of you today is to take whatever energy you have in either direction and turn that energy into prayer for this church, for God's church worldwide, for me, for our leadership, for wisdom and discernment from God about how and when we resume corporate worship. I can promise you that we're not going to be the first to open, and I can promise you that we're not going to be the last either. We'll be somewhere in the middle. That's the way of moderation and wisdom and prayer. But hear this clearly. The church never closed, and it will never close. Church has not been taken from us. We are separated bodily right now, but the church is very much alive. And hear these words of encouragement. This will not last forever. We will worship together in fullness. But we can't go back to normal. And I want to say, God forbid that we would seek to go back to normal. Because our focus must be in this period on how God is forming and reforming his church so that we could never return back to normal. I go back to January. In January, I called the church to a season of prayer. Through my own time of, of personal prayer and devotion, I had this strong sense that God was preparing us for something, that we were heading into a unique season, some new season of life and ministry, and we needed to be prayerful in preparation of that. Nearly 40 people in this church committed to fasting and praying for 10 weeks, and many others joined us in prayer and fasting in shorter spurts along the way. The prayers were guided each week, and, and there was one prayer that was the exact same every week. They switched and changed, but one prayer was the same every week. Lord, we pray that you would do your work of renewal in individuals and corporately as a church. Do your work of renewal. Renew us. I prayed that exact prayer over and over, often through tears. Listen, I don't believe that God sent this virus to the world that he loves to, to teach us something but I can't imagine a scenario where he isn't using this season, this season of, of separation as a church, as the means of doing the renewal work that he wants to do in us individually and corporately. Part of that renewal is deconstructing the notions of church that are unfruitful and rebuilding them into what he intended when he spoke to those disciples right before he was ascended and as he sent his Holy Spirit down upon them, and the church was born. We did a full sermon series a few years ago on different metaphors of the church. It was called, We Are God's People. Some of you might remember it. We studied eight church metaphors. 
from Scripture, and, and there were many more that we could have studied. And I was looking over my notes and sermons from that period of time, and it occurred to me that I would preach almost every single one of those sermons completely different in light of where we are today. So different than it was three years ago with the realities of live streams and social distancing and face masks. It's simply a different application and understanding of these rich metaphors for the church. I just want to go through three of them to show you how these metaphors have taken on a new potency in this season. And I think they highlight part of what God wants to do in us and is doing in us. First one, in 1 Corinthians 3, Paul likens the church to a spiritual building. He says, According to the grace given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building on it. Each builder must choose with care how to build on it, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one that has been laid, and that foundation is Jesus Christ. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? So the church is a spiritual building. Christ is the foundation. The apostles and the disciples built upon that foundation And we continue to build upon it today. A temple, a spiritual home, a place that houses the presence of God. That's what the temple is. But it's not a physical building. It's a spiritual one. Peter later calls followers of Jesus in the church living stones, being built together into a spiritual household. I look back on my notes for this sermon and There was a whole lot of talk to the congregation at that time about how we we need to be careful not to confuse the physical building of this place with the spiritual building that is the church that's not bound by walls. Well, that takes on some new meaning today, doesn't it? Where we can't safely meet together in a building. We have seen how church and ministry continues apart from a physical, physical building, that the church is not bound by these four walls. Now, I'm the first to admit that it's not the same when it makes sense for us to meet in this space. We certainly will. But maybe we've seen a vision of a more spiritual building of the church in this season. I certainly hope so. Second metaphor. Second, uh, 1 Corinthians 12, Paul likens the church to a body. For just as the body has, is one and has many members, all the members of the body, though many, are one body. So it is with Christ. For in the one spirit, we are all baptized into one body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free, and we were made to drink of one spirit. Indeed, the body does not consist of one member, but of many. And if one member suffers, we all suffer with it. If one member is honored, we rejoice together with it. Here Paul speaks to how the church is interconnected by the work of the Holy Spirit, a body, an elaborate system, working together, dependent on one another, with Jesus as the head who guides and leads. Again, there's new meaning in this season with that metaphor, right? We've seen the ways in which the church has acted as a body. I wish you could hear all those stories. The amount of times that I've called somebody and they've said, oh, our church family has been checking in on us and dropping things off for us. It's amazing. We've also seen that when one of us hurts, we all hurt. We care for one another. We've been so touched by the ways that the church has stayed connected and cared for one another as your pastors. We've seen meals delivered and endless calls made and prayers for one another and written notes and and sewed and delivered masks and, and people have given up their money. It's been beautiful to watch. Maybe we've caught a more compelling vision 
of what it means for the church to be the body of Christ in this season. And then the third one, Peter takes these two metaphors and he adds a third in 1 Peter chapter 2. The church is a priesthood. He says, Come to him a living stone, though rejected by mortals, yet chosen and precious in God's sight. And like living stones, let yourself be built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices to God through Jesus Christ. A holy priesthood. This means that if you call yourself a follower of Christ and are involved in his church, you are a priest commissioned to do what priests do, which is introducing other people to the presence of God. This means that the great commission that Jesus gives his disciples isn't reserved for the clergy or vocational ministers. They would have had no concept of that at the time of the ascension, but it's given to all who claim Jesus as Lord. You are a priest. You've been called to minister to others in the name of Jesus Christ. I feel this one poignantly as a pastor because I feel a remarkable lack of control right now, as I know many of you probably do. I I can't minister to all of you in the way that I normally do. I have to trust that the Spirit is forming in each of you a capacity for priesthood. You are a pastor in your home, in your marriage, in your parenting, in your school, in your work. You can't rely on us as your pastors to do that work in this season. You must own it and operate pastorally in those settings in a way that no one else can other than you. What a beautiful vision of what the church is. I could keep going with these metaphors. There are many more. But you see how our understanding of church is shifting, sometimes dramatically, in this global moment that we're in. So many of these metaphors have become more vivid, more meaningful, more urgent for us in this season. But I think it's more than that. I think God, through his Holy Spirit, is using this time to form the church in a new way. As frustrating as this season has been, we should affirm that this is a good thing. It is good when God is forming us. I believe that he is forming the church to be a better manifestation of the resurrection and the life. He's moving us out from the tomb and into the world in a new way. Mind, body, spirit, soul, enlivened and empowered by his Holy Spirit. He doesn't call us to do this alone. He formed the church to do this. And the church is God's gift to form us for our post-ascension life. One more time. The church is not a building. It is God's gift to form us for the post-ascension life. I believe that God wants to use this period for each and every one of us in our church to give us a more faithful vision of the church as the way that he wants primarily to form us. Let me give you my own analogy, not a biblical one, it's just a Lars analogy, but I think it's a helpful one. What if we saw the church as a gymnasium, a gym? I know that some of you uh, are gym members and you're probably missing the rhythm of going to the gym. Uh, I'm not a member of a gym currently, but I, I thought a lot about my YMCA membership days. Now, in my memory, there were three kinds of people who came to the gym at the YMCA. There were people who came to be seen, 
There were people who came to see other people. And there were people who came to really, really work out. Those who came to be seen were always dressed the right way. They would strut around the place. They would, instruct, they would inspect the weights. They would maybe try something for a brief moment, but they never really got to working out. I never saw them break a sweat very much. Then there, there, there were those people who this was a social gathering. It was really a time to see a friend, to socialize. They might have had a light walk on the treadmill next to a friend, but it was really about the conversation. And then there were those who came to work out, and it was all business. They weren't there to impress anybody. They were there for the discipline that that place provided. I remember a man named Greg at the YMCA in LaGrange Park who I watched lose an incredible amount of weight over a couple years. He would run. He would lift. He would go on the Stairmaster. He would stretch. It was not always pretty. It wasn't often pretty, actually, um, but it was inspiring. And one time I was on the treadmill next to him and I said, man, you're really committed and I just want to let you know it's really inspiring to watch you do this. And he said, well, I've lost 80 pounds so far. I got some more to go, but I'm doing this so I can be around for a really long time for my kids. What an inspiring guy. Here's the point of this. The gym is intended to be a place that strengthens you through resistance. The gym exists to break you down, to break down your muscles so that they can be rebuilt stronger again. I think what this season of COVID-19 is creating is natural resistance and suffering. And it's redefining the church for us. My hope and prayer is that the church becomes more and more like a gym full of Gregs. I hope and pray that as this season makes makes us go, I, 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 I hope and pray that we go, I, I don't really care about being seen. My priority is not merely to see others, though that's a beautiful thing. My goal in being involved in a church and calling a church home is to practice resistance against all the ways of living that are not of God and instead use this place and this fellowship to allow God to train me for life with Jesus, a life of resurrection. I want to train my body, mind, soul, spirit to feel the burn, to embrace that resistance, to be broken down so that I can be strengthened in Christ. To say this faith that I'm pursuing, that I'm working hard on, is for my kids and their kids and generation after generation to follow. We are in a period of undeniable resistance right now, and that's a good thing because places of resistance are where God is all the more at work in our lives. We can't grow in Christ without that resistance. So can you embrace the church and the life that happens in church as a place of holy resistance that you willingly participate in? This has to be what God wants for his church, his beloved bride, in this season. All the metaphors have become more rich and urgent and poignant. And if you miss ch church gatherings, you are not alone. I'm at the front of that line. I miss them desperately. But please join me in recognizing that God wants to form us in some new way, wants to refine us, wants to put away the things in which our church life has been, has been fruitless or an error and he wants to get us back to a place where we're being formed and trained for lives 
changed by the resurrected Jesus. In short, Jesus wants us to be as he is, to live into the resurrection and the life as he did. And church is the place, even when we're separated, where we get to be formed so that we can be as he is. Last thing you'll notice in the text that the disciples were looking up at Jesus ascending into heaven and they weren't alone. They had each other. And they were accompanied by angelic visitors who pointed their eyes towards life ahead following Jesus for what we would come to call the church. There was work to do. So what did these disciples do? Together, they prayed. They were filled with the Spirit. They were willing to be continually formed by God, even under great resistance. Read the book of Acts. And they proclaimed the resurrection boldly. May we join them. And may we be so formed. Amen. And invite you to respond.